honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I have on someone extremely dope. Um, and everything from esports to cryptocurrency to sneakers to human genome sequencing, <laughs> this guy can talk about. So I want to, it's my pleasure to have on Azim Khan. Khan, Azim, thank you for jumping on with me today. Man, thank you for having me. It was cool. Uh, it was cool to have you reach out. I'm always more than happy and willing to talk to people. And when we caught up just a little bit, I was like, oh, this dude is dope. So I'm excited for this. I appreciate you, man. I I haven't had somebody call me dope since uh, probably my dog this morning when he, uh, my dog just got neutered and uh, he is like, he wants to go outside so bad. We usually take him out for a walk every day um, and try to go around the, not just around the block, but for a little bit longer of a walk. And uh, he's been like crying because the vet said not to do that. So I took him on a little bit longer of a walk. So I, I think in my head, I thought that um, he thought I was dope this morning, but um, for anyone that's not like that, that is listening, that don't, doesn't know who you are. Do you want to give a, a brief intro as to who you are and what you do? Yeah, man. So currently I am the head of partnerships at a company named Aglet, uh, which would be best described as Pokemon Go for sneakerheads. Actually, just yesterday, uh, we announced in VentureBeat and put out the press release that we just raised an additional four and a half million dollars, uh, bringing the sum total since the app was long, uh, was just like founded in at the end of 2019 to over a little over seven million dollars. Now uh, we launched back in April and have a nice sizable user base. Have done some stuff with Gucci, have done some stuff with Stadium Goods. Uh, we're we're in the middle of planning some things with some really big sneaker brands. And you know I'm I, my my background's always interesting to talk about just because the way you you even framed it. I've got a a bachelor's and master's in bio. I got into medical school and didn't go. I did research in the genetics field and like a master's thesis in human genome sequencing. Uh, but after that, uh, you know, I had my own tech startups that I've done, gotten angel funding for. I ran an agency where I worked with uh, Kanye West team, Tiana Taylor, uh, Ray Schremer, Bryson Tiller, uh, Dreamville Records. I was I was a writer at the Huffington Post and interviewed Big Sean, Bun B, Talib Kweli, T.I., Jermaine Dupree, bunch of people of the hip-hop era that I grew up in. I tried launching a cryptocurrency named Kim Coindashian at one point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like uh, I, uh, I was part of an esports, like helped start an esports organization. I was uh, working with an executive over at Rock Nation and we were doing esports talent management, uh, live activations, uh, mobile games. So like, I've I've done a little bit of everything over the years. If if I'm really honest, it's it's actually always a difficult question when someone's like, "So tell me about yourself," and I'm like, "I follow my whims." <laughs> <laughs> it's cool because you you do have that variety, and I I mean just from that first conversation I had with you. 
you mentioned a ton of different things from Rock Nation to to your your uh, educational background, but what really even before jumping into the job market, you're studying in school. How? What made you? Did you always want to be a biology major, and what made you kind of switch it up post? No, so if I'm really honest, man, I entered college uh, with the aspirations to do business. Uh, from the time I was a young kid, I was one of those, like you know, stereotypical entrepreneurs who was selling candy and selling Pokemon cards and and I don't know, Yu-Gi-Oh cards at one point and all that kind of stuff. And in high school, I was buying sneakers wholesale online and and Mitchell and Ness jerseys and polo shirts and things like that, like selling things, just like making money. So when I got to college, I was, I was going to do business. I was, I was going to do, you know, college of arts and sciences, probably like an economics degree kind of a thing. And when I was 19 years old, uh, I was driving to the library while up at school and a drunk driver, uh, ran my car into a telephone pole and I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, and I didn't choose to go to the, the hospital right away because I thought I was okay despite having hit my head on the steering wheel really hard. Uh, but for the next few days, I was getting just a lot of concussion-like symptoms, and so I ended up going in, and while I was there, before they did the CAT scan, the doctor said to me that it looked like I had some sort of brain damage or bleeding at least going on in my brain because my symptoms were getting worse as the days went on as opposed to getting mm. better and so he said that obviously we'd have to do a CAT scan and he said you know just wait here we'll set, we'll get you all set up and uh, when he walked out of the room I sort of just had one of those moments that you like see in movies where you like try to talk to God and I, up until that point in life, really didn't care about much other than figuring out how to like be insanely wealthy. Uh, that's all I really wanted to do. And I looked up and I was like, man, if you gave me $100 billion right now, but you told me you have irreparable brain damage, I mean, like, I'd, I'd take my, my brain being okay over the money and was just like, God, like, if I'm okay, I'm gonna, like, live a life that, you know, pays it back. Just let me be okay. And... Very luckily, CAT scan happened, and it was only uh, a minor concussion. And so, you know, that following week, I actually uh, decided that I was going to go pre-med, and I wanted to try to go to medical school, basically. That was what launched me into biology and medicine. Wow. Yeah. Literally a, a real-life circumstance. That's, that's nuts, and it's... It, I mean, I'm glad to hear it wasn't the opposite, but exactly. It, I think to talk about entrepreneurship a little bit and talk about that mentality you have to have to start a, a company, I think situations like that, the way you, you dealt with that is exactly what entrepreneurs kind of deal with on an everyday basis. Yep. And you have to be able to pivot or adjust or anything like that. So once you were done with school and started moving on into your career journey, what made you kind of take that leap from, okay, I have, essentially I'm set. I, I, I have a job, I'm good, but I really want to 
to do something else? What what made you take that jump? I uh, I ran the Boston Marathon that had the bombings in 2013. Oh, wow. And I was living in Cambridge at the time, uh, which is where the alleged bomber suspects, however, however it's supposed to be said, were living. Uh, so I was also there during the Boston lockdown as well. And uh, I actually... I had a friend who ran the race with me, and I, I'd gotten him to run with me. We ran for the American Liver Foundation, had to raise a bunch of money. And originally, I'd planned to run alone, and when I told him that I'd be running the race too, he asked to be able to be part of it. And on race day, uh, his his mile time was just a little slower than mine, and so I said, you know, I, I don't really care to finish this race super quickly. I'd rather just run with my friend. And... He ran with me for the first 17 miles of the race, I remember. And at that point, he said, you know, you go ahead of me. I need to take a little bit of a break. And shortly after, like 30, 40 minutes later, when I was on mile 21, is when I started getting notifications. I ran with my phone that, uh, that some sort of explosion had taken place. And people were like, you know, people were calling me like, please don't go to the finish line. You know, and then within 20 minutes, like, literally, it was, it was like a, a Batman movie scene. Like, the military was quarantining us or trying to quarantine us. And, like, cop cars and all these different undercover cars were speeding down towards Kenmore uh, and closer to where, where the bombing took place. And I remember thinking that week, not only did I run the race, if my friend hadn't run with me, my, like, m mile time per minute was actually fast enough that I would have been at the finish line when all of that transpired. And, and then also living in Cambridge and just sort of just experiencing all that. And I was just sort of like, you know, I've been doing medicine, but as much as I've been doing it, I don't think I went in for the fully right reasons. This isn't really where my heart is. Uh, I was also encouraged by my parents who are Pakistani immigrants, especially by my mother to become a doctor, which is a very well-known trope. Uh, and so, you know, I just sat around working at this great biotech company and all these things, but I was just like, man, I could have died twice this week. Uh, life is way too short for me not to do something that I don't want to do. Like, I want to do exactly what I want to do because clearly I, I, I could have died twice this week. And so I quit my job. I rescinded my apps to medical school, and I'd been working part-time on this startup uh, with some people that just allowed people to license smartphone photos. And I was like, I'm going to do this full time now. And very fortunately, because I was able to hustle us a lot of press, uh, we ended up raising angel funding just a few months later. Damn. That's, that's nuts. <laughs> again, I'm, I'm glad to hear that um, you're, you, you came out of that with a, a different mentality and being an immigrant and coming from a family of immigrants you're you're told hey do do this and for for so long and for me uh, i i went and got a sports management degree and my parents were fully behind me and i i couldn't thank them more but i had family members saying why why aren't you going to be a lawyer or why aren't mm. you going to study this or study that that were more why aren't you being a nurse well, like why aren't you studying to be a nurse yep. and it was all jobs that were yes uh, a guaranteed paycheck but it wasn't something that i wanted to 
pursue because it wasn't something that I was passionate about. And I think God every day because my my mom and dad said, hey, go study what you need, you want to study. Yeah. And while uh, I'm not working in the industry anymore, that degree had a massive impact as to who I am today and the journey I've, I've taken. So do you want to, from your time at that startup to... I mean, you mentioned beforehand, like you, you've had such this, such an amazing journey. How did, how did you start at that start? How did you end up from that startup to, I'm in the same room as Rock Nation working collaboratively with them? Yeah, so... Uh... Actually, because of the marathon, uh, the, the day of the Boston lockdown, Ariana Huffington had posted something where they were looking for experiences of people from the lockdown itself. And while I was no writer whatsoever, I thought, you know what, this could be cool. And so I just put together a short blurb of what it was like being a Pakistani-American Muslim who ran the race and was a victim instead of a suspect in everything. And I just asked for there to be a little bit of unity uh, as, we, as we dealt with what was coming instead of finger pointing. Because I was like, look guys, you know, clearly like I'm a Muslim dude who you know, was very much a victim in all of this. And the piece ended up doing extremely well for what was considered you know, viral for 2013. And because of that, they said that I could just be a contributor and hmm. I could submit pieces whenever I wanted and an editor would take a look at it and, you know, things would get published. And I, for a while, was doing a bunch of like stuff where it was just like five things I learned being an entrepreneur and productivity stuff and things like that. But one day in early 2014, uh, I had the realization that I could use this platform to reach out to hip hop artists that I was a big fan of and I could interview them and be able to build relationships with them and you know wear chains and stuff like that like genuinely I was just like I don't want to wear big diamond chains and hang out with rappers that I liked growing up <laughs> like dead ass that, that was genuinely like it was just like in, in, that innocent and naive of like a thought and I reached out to Yogati's team that day and Fabulous's team that day, just like through their websites, no like relationships whatsoever. And Yogati's team got back to me like that day or the following day, I think it was. And so it just sort of clicked in my head. I was like, wait, like this is a, a well-known brand and publication that unless you're Drake or Jay-Z or Kanye, you don't have access to. And I could use this to interview people that I've been a fan of my whole life, tell good stories, and build relationships in the industry. And mm -hmm. I could use this as like the six degrees of separation to, to try to get into that building of Rock Nation because ultimately, you know, I'd love to be able to pursue something where I can potentially and hopefully work with them. I was just a huge J fan growing up. And so, man, it, it, took a, it took a lot of years. It took a lot of writing. It took a lot of, like, thinking about who to ask for intros to and who to talk to. And then also just, it was helpful because, like, I didn't need anything from anyone. The, the music industry is one where everyone always comes to you with their hand out uh, asking for something. 
And I was making my money outside the music industry. And so for me, everyone who would meet me would see someone who, genuine fan, understood the music of the culture, would write good articles, never did a hit piece on anybody. Like I remember when I interviewed Jermaine Dupri, at the end of the interview, he goes, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. And I was like, for what? He was like, you didn't ask me about Janet Jackson at all. And I was like, why the hell would I ask you about Janet Jackson? He's like, I haven't done an interview in years without someone at least trying to bring it up. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't care about Janet Jackson based on the context of what we're talking about. uh, I interviewed Big Sean around the time that him and Ariana Grande had broken up. Same thing. Yo, thank you for not asking me or pressing me about Ariana. So what does that have to do with me? And so for me, I would go to all these people, meet all these people, write a really good interview, and just like that would be it. Like, And they were just like, who's this guy who's, I'm not a singer, I'm not a songwriter, I'm not a producer, I'm not a manager. I'm not looking for anything. Like, I was just like, yo, like, I just want to hear your experiences. Let's grab coffee sometime. Like, I make money doing this tech stuff. Like, but like, I'm just a fan. And, you know, that was the other part was like, as much as I could say, there was a part of me that was trying to be strategic about it. But there was a lot of it that just sort of worked out that like in ways that like I I couldn't take credit for. Uh, and, and, you know, very fortunately was able to, to end up there because of the fact that I was just this random person who enjoyed doing tech stuff, but also was just like a, a fan of everything. So I'd interviewed Memphis Bleak. I'd interviewed Emery Jones. I'd interviewed uh, Kareem Biggs-Burke. So like I'd been interviewing all the people who are very close to Jay and Rock Nation and very much so part of that that whole entourage. And so just over time, it was just like, you know, definitely wasn't overnight, but uh, ended up meeting an executive over there who, I mean, I used to go into the office and just talk to him for months, like every few weeks I'd go in, he'd be like, yo, come by. And then one day he was like, yo, what do you think about starting an esports org? I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool, let's do it. Damn. So, Wow, so many questions. So, <laughs> I mean, you had to have, I mean, obviously with all your experiences, at the point of, you know what, screw it. I want to wear big chains and I want to talk to my favorite rappers. Yep. That mentality, was, was that built from just your experiences from the car accident to the Boston Marathon bombings to other experiences I'm sure you've had through this time with the, I'm that just, all honestly man I, I just like I have a really like childlike ability to ask why not you know yeah. people be like why do you think you can do that I'm like well why not you know so like for me like I sort of logically put together wait if I could interview artists and I could tell good stories like I don't know anybody but I'll get to know people or like I've never worn any chains, but like, it was mad funny, man. I remember I've worn Kid Inks jewelry. Uh, I've worn Lil Boosie, Boosie Badasses, like huge, like 
Jesus piece that like weighs like multiple tons. Uh, <laughs> I've worn uh, Freeways jewelry. Uh, I've worn Memphis Bleak's Rockefeller chain. For me, it was like growing up, like to be able to just have put on the Rockefeller chain was like the coolest thing in the world. And I'd, inter- I'd messaged Bleak before we did the interview. And I was like, yo, can you bring your Rockefeller chain in? And when we got there, he thought I wanted to like take a picture of the necklace. But I was like, no, no, I want to wear the chain when we take the photo. I mean, like everybody just thought it was funny. Like they were like, oh, like that's cool. Yeah, man, I don't care. Like put like, you know, like Casanova, hopefully everything goes okay with him. But like when I interviewed him, he gave me, he was wearing like, it was years now, but he was wearing like, it was a one kilo or a two kilo white gold or platinum Cuban link chain. And then a hundred thousand dollar Patek that was like iced out as fuck. And so like, I was just like, yo, Cass, like, I want to wear your jewelry. And so it was just like, everyone just thought it was funny. Like, and for me, it was just like being able to just like, you know, when you're a kid, like growing up, looking at rappers wearing all that ridiculous jewelry. Like for me, it was just like filling that thing. Like it was like, why not? You know, and everyone looked at me like I was crazy when I would ask, but it was, why not? Exactly. Why not? Damn. So from there, how are you, uh, how are you making your own lane from, have you started to kind of, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pursue something at, at this point or with the esports stuff and with the writing, are you still just kind of going with the flow of the wind or are yeah, you man. kind of in your head yeah, zoning say, in on something? I'd say I'm still very much so just like going with the flow. I think, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying my time at Aglet. I, I ended up joining this company pre-launch. It was very fortuitous. At the time, I was speaking to somebody that I know from Twitter who I've never met who owns a blockchain-based gaming studio in Canada. And I was speaking to him about an idea that I had for something that I wanted to raise money for. This was in like February of 2020. And he was like, you know, I, that's not really my wheelhouse, but let me connect you to someone that I know who's an investor uh, that lives in London. And he's a huge hip hop head. He's a big, he's a big sneaker collector, all this stuff. Uh, and I think he could be potentially helpful for you. So I was like, yeah, sure. Let's talk to this dude in London. And when speaking to this dude, he's like, you know, I like the idea of what you want to do, but it's a little early for someone like me to invest in it, but if you'd be open to it, I want to introduce you to somebody who lives in Germany who has a company that hasn't launched yet, but I think would be really interesting for your skill set and for your background. I was like, yeah, sure, let's talk to this guy in Germany now. And that guy in Germany was the CEO of Aglet, Ryan Mullins. And, Hmm. you know, we had a great first call. It lasted multiple hours. And then after that, he proceeded to have me do two more calls, one with the head of product who was living and lives in Australia. And then I spoke to somebody who uh, is the head of design for Aglet and he lives in New Zealand. And so like just, just the idea of how even that played out, talk to a guy in Canada who you've never met, but like talk to on Twitter all the time, have him connect you to a dude in London who you don't know anything about who then connects you with a dude in Germany and the call goes well. So you talk to a dude in Australia and a dude in New Zealand and you turn it into a job. And now yesterday we announced having raised an additional four and a half million 
after announcing a $1.8 million raise not long ago, and I've still never met a single person in the company. Damn. Like, you know, so it's just like, for me, I have trouble. I like, I actually really want to get to the point where I could like think about something and then do the thing in that sense. But for me, everything just sort of plays out in this way where like, I follow what I'm interested by. And then it's not to say I don't work hard. I, I work all day long, actually. On my last call, someone just called me the human LinkedIn uh, person I was talking to. <laughs> and so, you know, like I work really hard constantly as much as I can. Uh, but, but like based on how my life has gone up until this point, like, you know, I was doing scientific research on, on the best way to sequence a human genome. Uh, whether you should circularize the DNA or leave it as linear strands. And now I'm part of a company that is trying to do augmented reality commerce and advertising. So like, the idea of, of like making the plan is something that just hasn't worked well for me. It, it, it's not something I, I, don't, I don't know how well it would work for me. Why? You mentioned Twitter. Yes. And I uh, I don't even know if I told you this, but uh, anybody that is listening knows that I, I built a company for two years and I, unfortunately COVID took it and uh, really honed it on the podcast and since that happening. But the... I was a, we were able to get a ton of traction because of LinkedIn. Yeah. And I think since quarantine hitting mm-hmm. and everybody having to be inside and the amount of spam being put out on LinkedIn has almost uh, 10x'd, I would say, if not more. Definitely. Where would you encourage the young designer, the young... Um, the young business major that's looking, that's listening to this podcast, that's looking to get into any industry, would you encourage Twitter over LinkedIn at this point? So what's interesting is I've found a lot more value in LinkedIn more recently, uh, but only because I'm able to really be more strategic about the reasons that I'm reaching out to people the asks that there might be. So I think when you when you can be strategic about, I need to speak to the, I don't know, brand designer at Balenciaga. LinkedIn is an excellent tool to figure out how am I supposed to find that person? How do I get their contact info? What kind of notes should I send them? You know, I see that they have a role open. Who is the hiring manager? Anything like that. LinkedIn is excellent for like strategic networking that you really know what you're doing and why you're doing it. It doesn't work well if you just sort of like connect with random ass people. Twitter, on the other hand, which I saw that I had my 11 or 12 year anniversary sometime recently, is a platform that I've been investing in for over a decade now and has brought me such immense value that if you told me today, if you were like, Azim, I will give you $10 million for your Twitter account. Like that, like that I would have to start my Twitter over all over again. 
I and I, and I do not have ten million dollars by no <laughs> means. I'm nowhere close. So I'm not like a rich dude who would be able to turn down your money. But I would, I wouldn't even think about it before I said no to you for ten million dollars, hmm. because of how much outsized value Twitter has provided me, continues to provide me, and has the ability to future provide me. Because it gives me the chance to have conversations with people that I just wouldn't be able to in real time over a period of time that I have follows from so many important people in so many important industries that become a DM away from me that 10 million wouldn't be nearly enough to justify it. So my in social media, like more recently, everyone is really obsessed with Clubhouse. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're on Clubhouse, by the way, but if you aren't, I can give you an invite. Um, I am. It's, okay. I've been toying around with it, and I'm having a ton of fun yeah. with it. Yeah, so like, I'm, I'm very curious where Clubhouse goes, but it has been years that Twitter has just been amazing for me. Uh, so I'd say LinkedIn became better this year when I started having an idea of why I wanted to connect with people, but Twitter has been good just because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Facebook is useless. I don't really yeah. care much for Instagram. <laughs> I don't use Snapchat. Uh, but yeah, I'd say those would be my most important social medias. That's, I think that's huge advice. And to hit on Clubhouse a little bit more, I uh, sat in on a very good chat um, in yesterday, actually. Are Women the Forgotten Voice in Sneaker Design? And sat down and the amount of people and the quality of people that I got to, if I wanted to, just have one-on-one time, ask a quick question and everything like that um, was literally priceless. And I think uh, we'll see what happens with the app, but I, I think it could be uh, a really good way for for people to get into an industry or uh, to network your way uh, into partnerships and everything like that. But I think uh, you mentioned Twitter, and that's something the the space has been a massive focus for myself in the recent months, and it's something that we, I think, a lot of people are reaching out to me now asking about what what they can do to get into marketing, what can what can they do to get into sports, and the the cool thing is is that there's literally a a, a Twitter community for anything that you're trying anything that you're trying you're learning so uh you type in hashtag marketing twitter and you can connect with everything from ceos to vps to massive people and um it's irreplaceable really so i i do agree with that um with that that i would say i was gonna call it a knowledge bomb but that uh, almost more of that recommendation i think now with students graduating in May again, uh, upcoming in May again. So um, I think there's a way to kind of separate yourself from the market. I think that's what we did with LinkedIn. Yep. Um, but now with kind of the, the, the movement in between, if you're a hiring manager, would you shy away from some – or? would you recommend someone have a personal brand coming out of college or anything like that to kind of uh, boost their resume? Man, I, I think 
as much as people laughed at me for years when I would be like, yo, everybody is in many ways a brand. I think that it would be difficult for someone to say that if they were hiring, especially for something specific, that if you went on to their social media pages, like for myself, I have like nine-ish thousand followers on Twitter and I'm verified. I have 35,000 followers on Facebook and I'm verified on my like brand page or whatever. Um, I'm, I have like photos with a lot of famous people on my Instagram and it would be, it, it would be really difficult for someone like when I was, when I was getting, when I was talking to the people at Aglet, right? Like I'm sure that those things came into play like, oh, well, how can we know that he would be good at this or that he knows people or whatever it is? And so it's just like visual versions of a resume. When you go on someone's Twitter and you can see that whole like uh, also follows kind of thing that they do, like the, mm-hmm. you know, followed by people you follow kind of a thing. And so even just something as little as that, where like if people go to your profile and they see 42 of the people that I follow follows this person, I don't know who they are, but, you know, those are people that I respect and they follow him. And so it's just, it's signaling. I think there's a lot of ways that it's imperfect, but I do think it's important to to have that, especially moving forward. What's uh, what's in your future, Azim? I, I feel like you're, uh, even from hearing your journey, like there's always something around the corner or something that you're working on uh, behind the scenes. So what's in the future that you can talk about at least? I don't, no if i'm if i'm being really honest like, there's a beauty behind that though yeah like I, I don't know what it is um i'm i'm you know excited for what it potentially could be um but there's like you know even now like i'm interested in the pharma tech space the crypto space the uh the gaming space the tech space the augmented reality space the there's like the cannabis space is so exciting to me uh, and so there's so much in so many places going on that exhilarate me that I don't know what's next. I think uh, part of the reason that I wasn't overly excited about becoming a physician at one point was that I realized I knew how my life would map out way in advance. It was like, okay, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have med school from this age to this age you'll be in there for four years once you leave that you'll be in residency for four to six years maybe you don't know exactly what city you'll be in but you'll be doing a predictable thing with a predictable amount of money being made for those four to six years and you'll just be in that one place then maybe you'll do a specialization or a fellowship which will take you one to two years after that this is the range of money that you will be making. And that's it. And I was like, I would be able to know when I'm 38 years old, what's going to be happening, approximately how much money I'll be making, likely exactly what I'll be doing. And I didn't like that. I -hmm. thought, I thought that 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 would take the fun of life away. And so, you know, I don't know what's tomorrow. I just, want it to be fun uh, I chase what's fun what's exciting like there are so many cool things happening in the world and so many cool industries booming 
so many cool opportunities that I have no clue. There's, like I said, there's a there's a beauty behind not knowing. Absolutely. Um, and I think with you having that entrepreneurial mindset, it, that it's almost um, engraved into your head that not knowing is just a another way of finding something new and finding a new passion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, speaking about or transitioning into entrepreneurship and your that mindset that comes with that failure is something that's huge in growth so do you want to talk about a failure of yours that that you're open to talking about and what you've learned from it i mean man i think like failure happens every day for me uh like i think there's no way to escape failure uh from emails that don't get answered to having to reach back out to people 35 times. Like people only get to see and hear about sort of the highlight reel. But I mean, when I left uh, unanimous games, rock nation or whatever to find another gig, I must have gotten turned down by a hundred investors for the idea that I wanted to do. And when I was applying to jobs a little bit at the same time, I didn't get any calls back, like from anybody, basically. And, you know, if I wanted to go work at a major corporation, like, it just like, there was no way for me to do it. And I finally had a conversation with the hiring manager at a corporation. And he said, um, essentially, he said, Azim, you have such an impressive resume that you'll never get a job by applying the way everyone else applies. And I was like, how does that make any sense? He was like, because anyone looking at your resume will see that you should be able to get in to anywhere you want simply by the fact that you would be able to have a relationship there and make a phone call. That is ridiculous because there's a lot of places I can't call anybody. Or if I know someone, they're not nearly senior enough. And so part of why I do everything that I do is that I don't have the pedigree or the things on my resume that signal for me to go get the job at Google or to go get the job at Facebook. If I want to get a job at Google or Facebook, it's because they acquired a company of mine and then I come in at a high level position. But nothing about my resume makes any sense to a hiring manager. I'm a risk. Uh, They're like, this guy was in biology but he does this now and he does that like i don't Mm -hmm. have the uh went to school for economics became an analyst at a bank then became an associate then became a manager and now i'm applying to be a vp and so in a lot of ways i'm boxed out of traditional ways to go about getting things and i come from an immigrant family you know, both my parents are Pakistani immigrants. And so like, I don't come from a place where I have Uncle Joe or anybody that I could message if I need anything. And Mm -hmm. I financially take care of my family. Both of my parents are very sick. Uh, So I take care of literally all of the bills, setting up doctor's appointments. Like after we get off this call, I need to go to CVS to pick up Parkinson's meds. And so 
like things like that, uh, they're just like everyday trials. And to the point that I, I don't even think about them as failures anymore. Like when this stuff happens, it's just sort of like business as usual. That's incredible. That I keep referring back to the mindset, but that mindset is something that's powerful and not everybody has. It, it, it's something that could be taught. It just has to be wanted. Yeah, man. You I think be, in a sense. Yeah, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yep, exactly. You know, and because and, that's where growth takes place. Like growth doesn't take place in spaces of comfort. You know, muscles don't grow if you don't force them to go past their limits. And so, you know, while it's a difficult trajectory to follow, like I'm very happy with the things that I've been able to accomplish because of failure, like not mm -hmm. because of success. Like it's been, it's been able, it's been, what's the best way to put it? I don't know, like not losing enthusiasm from failure to failure is the only reason that I think I succeed at anything. Hmm. When, when it's all said and done, what impact do you want to leave on the world? That's something I've started thinking about more recently, to be perfectly honest with you. And I haven't, I haven't been able to come to the right answer yet. I think that for the most part, regardless of what good that I do on the planet, and I hope that I'm able to do an outsized amount of it, a big part of me wants to make sure that no one would ever find out about any of the good things that I did. Hmm. And because uh, I want to know that I did it for myself, even the things that I do now, I don't want anyone to know. I don't, I don't go about, you know, and, and no knock on people who want to talk about the good things they've done. I can see that the approach that they take is one where they say, if me talking about the things that I do for others motivates other people to do more good as well, then I've done a good service. Like, I don't know, Kevin Hart talks a lot about mm -hmm. like the good things he does. And that's his take on it, is that by him showing that he does these things, he might encourage other people to do the same. And so I have no knocks on that. Uh, my personal philosophy is just like a more private one about the good things that I do. There's a, I think it's an, I think it's from Judaism, but it's like you're, and I'm definitely going to butcher this, but like your, your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand did in reference to like charity. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you even sort of hide it from yourself kind of being the message. And for me, that's sort of how I go about like any of the impact that I want to have. I help a lot of people out any, any time that I can. Uh, if I can make introductions for people, if I can put in good words for people, if I can help a business connect happen or whatever it is, like when people, if people call me just for advice, look over a resume, I don't know. I've had to do so many random things uh, for people over time and I enjoy doing them, but none of them are things that like, I talk about or bring up or it's just like once it's done it's done and right. and then that's it you know don't say thank you a hundred times like that's it like I did it now we're good we're eat like I wanted to do it uh, so that's sort of how I go about it so I, I hope that 
I'm able to continue that regardless of whatever potential successes I may see. Do you think that mentality has to do with the upbringing that you had as a child of immigrants? I do. I do. I definitely do. I, uh, I have parents who, you know, like the poverty that both of my parents faced growing up in Pakistan and the stories that I've heard and the things that they've done for people because of the successes they got to see from putting people through school to paying for weddings to helping someone out just because to paying mm -hmm. for hospital bills like just across the board and growing up they just they just always told me like look like you've been put in a position of privilege and it was through no success of your own that you were put in this position and so by doing so it is sort of your duty to the world to give back and i i, I definitely believe that i i follow that very closely I love that. So anybody that's listening, where can where where can people connect with you? Where can people find out more about uh, what you you're working on? Man, on Twitter, um, Azim K underscore A Z E E M K underscore. My Instagram is the same exact thing. Uh, I don't use Instagram very much, but that's what it is. Uh, I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn. My email is just ak at aglet.app. Uh, so um, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Well, Azim, I appreciate you jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. Uh, I hope you had a good time. I did, man. Thank you for having me. Yo, thank you for checking out this episode of the Strange on Purpose podcast. I literally could not do any of this without you listening today. So thank you again. And if you're interested, check us out on Instagram at strange on purpose, or check out our website, strangeonpurpose.co. I have a newsletter that should be dropping very, very soon blog post to come with all of this. And hopefully when COVID restrictions end, we can do some live events and everything like that. Thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you tune in to the next one.